to Area 51 and a half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. As always, I am your enthusiastic host, John Allen, and with me is my co-host... Snyderman 501 Nick Snyder. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. You can find us on Twitter at TheArea518. You can also find us on TikTok under the same. And you can find us on Facebook by searching for the area 51 and a half. And Nick, this is an interesting month because it is June, which means that it is pride. It is pride, yeah. Okay. And we want to remind everybody, whether you're alien or galian, you are welcome here with us. Uh, we, we have no judgment of any of our fans. We're just happy that you're here with us. This is a safe landing pad for you. We love you the way you are. Um, speaking of pride, Nick, it's amazing, uh, all the different things that you have to talk about and all the things that we can talk about yeah. in relationship to pop culture. And what's interesting though, is I, I had a conversation, um, probably a few months ago with a young gay man from the United States. Yeah. And it was interesting because I was telling him all about this gay history that I thought was very fascinating, starting with the Stonewall Uprising and Marsha P. Johnson and all these things, right? And he hadn't heard of any of it. And I sat there and I said, okay, this is where I, as an older person, sometimes have problems with younger generations. Because I sit there and go, how do I, as a uh, straight male, know more about gay history than you do, who is a gay male? And that, that that's a fair point. I mean, it makes a certain level of sense. I mean, I'm sure a lot of this stuff is not taught in schools. But in saying No, that, I... I, and I the thing of it is, like, uh, you're right. They probably don't talk about it in schools because schools have this ongoing battle, it would seem, between conservative and liberal kind of view. And, uh, you know, once you get politics into education, that really starts to subvert things. Yeah. I, I, my outlook on it is gay history is history. It is it history. Should, it, it is that's right. It is history. part of our culture. But, you know, um, part of what is great about that scene is, of course, we have... As he would describe himself, not a drag queen, but the queen of drag, and that is RuPaul. RuPaul. RuPaul is interesting, because I, as far back as I remember, RuPaul has been in the public. Ever since I was a little kid, I remember seeing RuPaul on TV in some way, shape, or form, whether it be on talk shows or whatever. So, and and, and RuPaul always had a, what, what was what is RuPaul's, um... Pronouns? Is it? Is it he and? Yeah, he and? yeah. Okay. It, it depends. If he's in drag, then it's she. If it's, okay. if he's not in drag, it's he. Okay, so I didn't know he's more fluid. Okay, so yeah. that's. But like I've seen RuPaul. Well, more old school. Okay, so I've seen RuPaul in drag. I've seen RuPaul out of drag in different things. I I've seen him with the Muppets out of drag. I've seen her as in drag on like Sally Jesse Raphael. I think things like that. Yeah, right? yeah. So RuPaul's always been there. So when RuPaul got the, the the drag race tv show and that started making appearances with that i was like that that's kind of cool that feels like the the culmination of someone who's been at the forefront of i don't want to say full-on pop culture but definitely the cult part of the pop right. culture right and that's the interesting thing because the history of the term drag goes back to like shakespearean times goes back you know further where the acronym was put in there d-r-a-g mm -hmm. which stands for dresses as real girls Really, I didn't yeah. know that. Like, I knew, I knew back in Shakespearean times, it was um, women were not allowed to be on stage. It right. was always men that played the women part. Yeah, and that 
even went on, that went on for a long time, even to the point where uh, in um, The Importance of Being Earnest, uh, you had one of the characters whose name escapes me the moment, you probably know it, uh, who's typically played by a man. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's British pantomime, too. Yeah. The dame is always played by a man. Yep. And so that that's what drag stands for, dressed as girl. Uh, so that you can make that distinction, because they, they have male actors playing these female characters. So it, it really does have a very rich history that RuPaul has been able to bring to the forefront of modern pop culture just by being himself and by also sort of challenging those norms by bringing in this art form, because it really is an art form mm -hmm. when you really get down to it, because it involves makeup, it involves hair, it involves costuming, it involves all kinds of things, right? And it's just a marvelous, marvelous art form at times that I really wish people would understand why this they, they do this, because it, it does help build confidence, especially when the gay community typically has been reviled and have has had so much negativity thrown on them in the past. To see something positive, yeah, is is refreshing. Um, RuPaul started like for me, RuPaul just sort of appeared. You know, it was almost like a a, a magical genie out of a bottle. Well, yeah, you would have been more uh, conscious, I guess the word would be. Well, what happened is like he, he got his first big break as you know a drag queen and. RuPaul um, uh, in the B-52's Love Shack. Really? Yeah. He's he, If you watch Love Shack, you'll see RuPaul dancing away as your typical drag queen RuPaul. It, his look has since, you know, moved, been more elevated than it, it is from back then. And I'm sure he would be the first to admit that. But it, it then he uh, shows up in the um, the Brady Bunch movies. Yeah, you know, as yeah. Jan's teacher, right? Yeah, right? Definitely playing a female. And he, he had talk shows and he had different um, uh, appearances. And, you know, and he just was in almost everything. And it just happened so matter-of-factly, so benignly, right? Yeah. And at the same time, Dame Edna was doing all of yes. that comedy, right? And so all of a sudden... Because particularly of those two, RuPaul and, and Barry Humphreys, all of a sudden, drag is no longer this weird, mysterious thing. So when I was a young kid, I would watch Dame Edna with my mom and dad. Hilarious. Um, you know, sadly, because I was a kid, I don't really remember a lot of what Dame Edna's comedy was about. I just remember this woman. Right. <laughs> And when I, when I was that age, I didn't really realize that it was a man in drag. Yeah. Because it just looks like a woman in, yeah. an, extra, in an extravagant dress. And it wasn't even um, self-deprecating, honestly. No. It was this idea that Barry Humphreys had created this character that was a, a dame. Yeah. This massive dame, and she was famous, and she felt that she was famous, and she felt that she was probably more famous than... She really was supposed to be. Bit, a little bit above her stage. Yeah, the, the diva kind of thing. And it was hilarious because she would have on all these celebrities and she would say the, the funniest things about them that might sound like a compliment but weren't really a compliment. And yeah. they, the celebrities would crack up. Yeah, it, it was funny. And um, you, you probably remember the Dame Edna experience. That, that was the show. That was the show, yeah. Yeah, and it would yeah. come on late at night and yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
I, it was probably one of those things, like, I know that I, re, I remember the humor was a little more adult, probably something I shouldn't have been watching at five years old, but hey, my mom and dad let me watch it. So well, you know, it, it really wasn't greatly adult. Yeah. <laughs> Not like the way that Benny Hill was. Yeah. Well, there, there's the thing. I didn't even know Benny Hill was a thing until I came to Canada, so. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the thing, too, because, like, there's only, in, in Hollywood, anyway, there's only three people that I can think of that actually performed as sort of themselves or or as a character and have always been that character. And that's RuPaul. Right. That's Cassandra Peterson as Elvira, yeah. who she considers Elvira to be drag, and Pee Wee Herman. Paul Rumens with the Pee Wee Herman character. I would throw Ernest P. Wall in with that. Yes, yes. Like would... the, there's a neat thing with Jim Varney. Jim Varney is a, and I've seen him do Shakespearean work. He is a Shakespearean trained actor. And I watched a video with him doing Hamlet. And it was it was really weird to see him doing that. Yeah, and he was great playing Jed Clampett in the Beverly Hillbillies right. movie. Right, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, uh, uh, back to RuPaul. I mean, he became so synonymous with all of it. Yeah. And he became so uh, relevant with all of it. And so in, the, in there that when they actually did the movie Too Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmark, he gets a, a cameo. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I've always looked at RuPaul as kind of the face of drag, like the same way you would have looked at... The face of North American drag. Fair. But, yeah. like, the same way you might look, as Hulk, look at Hulk Hogan as the face of North American wrestling back in the 80s. Right. Like, very much in the forefront, very much a larger-than-life character, and just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, what a funny movie that is. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but it's not condescending, and that's the great thing about it. Yeah. I I have always been a fan of John Leguizamo. Right. John Leguizamo is, can be... I, I've, I've seen him in, in Tuong Fu. I've seen him in the past, and he did this one-man show uh, that was on HBO when I was preteenish, thereabouts. He is wildly funny, and for me, for Tu Wong Fu, he was the... The breakout performance for that movie, like he he stole the yeah, show. Yeah, he really was, and you know the thing was watching him. You saw that Patrick Swayze was in drag. You saw Wesley Snipes in drag, and that was part of the humor of it, right? Is that you were seeing these two particular well-known actors at the time, and so that was again a little bit of of the humor. However, I wasn't really familiar with John Leguizamo at that time, and John Leguizamo. Even now, knowing who he is, if you go back and you watch Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, his portrayal of Chi-Chi is so spot on. It's so well thought of, so crafted, that you look at it and you don't see John Leguizamo right. at all. You see this little Latin boy in drag, <laughs> as they refer to him. And, <laughs> and, you know, that really has one of the best lines in it too where um, Miss Vita played by Patrick Swayze sits there and says the I'm paraphrasing you know if I get it wrong I get it wrong but where he's he sits there and they're trying to decide which car to buy for their journey and he says well girls it comes down to that age-old questions style or substance hmm I mean it's it's a smart comedy mm -hmm. and there's only one other gay themed comedy that I can think of film wise that is even a little bit smarter than Tu Wong Fu Thanks for Everything Julie Newmark and that's The Adventures of Priscilla Queen of the Desert 
Now, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, um, that was one I watched, like, like Tu Wong Fu. I watched that when I was a kid when it was on the movie network here in Canada. Yeah. Um, probably shouldn't have. Probably shouldn't have, but there's a lot of movies I shouldn't have watched at that time, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember Terrence Stamp is a, one of the most legit actors out there. Just, he is fantastic. He, he adds gravitas to everything. And when I saw it was him, I'm like, okay, cool, I need to see this. Yeah, I mean, you have Guy Pierce, you have Terrence Stamp, and you have Hugo Weaving. Right. Now, I don't know if Hugo Weaving or Guy Pierce was well-known here in North America at the time, but Terrence Stamp certainly was because, of course, he's General Zaw. Yeah. And not an attractive woman, but he's a chameleon. He brings himself into this role convincingly as Bernice, very seriously as Bernice, because... That whole thing is that he is not just a drag queen. He is what they called um, in in Australia, I guess. I don't know if it was ever in North America, but uh, a lay girl. Okay. You know, which were female impersonators yeah. and whatever. But the character also is transgendered. And it's interesting watching Terrence Stamp play Bernice because he plays it very, very seriously. It's it's right on the line. It's believable. You do not sit there. I guess maybe the first time you see him, you go, ha, it's General Zod, it's Terrence Stamps and Stamp and Drag. Yeah. But then as you get past that, you get right into the characters. You, it's very believable. Yeah, and, and Ter- Terrence Stamp is a really interesting one to bring up because everything I've ever seen him do is utterly fantastic to the point that... I felt he was kind of wasted in the Phantom Menace. He was a, he had a very short scene in it, and he was really good in it, and it was just it was kind of a waste. But. Yeah, you know, it's just an amazing actor, and uh, you know, I like the I like movies like that because it helps me as a cisgendered male um, to understand what the what that community is about and the, where they're coming from. The stories are important. Yeah, and the more Hollywood and the more art house studios make these stories, the more the stories are going to be accepted, and the more um, trans actors and actresses are going to be accepted. And I think that's a very, very important thing. Well, especially when you're dealing with this came out in the '90s, so you're dealing with '90s Australia, which you know there's prob according to the movie anyway. I mean there's. A lot of rough guys as yeah. they're going out to the desert to um, around. I think it's around Alice Rock or whatever it is um, to to go and put on this show to help Tig's wife. Right. You know. Um, and yeah, that becomes the whole thing where he's married and <laughs> the whole thing. And and I like the line in there. He says, "Well, are you gay? Well, I don't know. Are you straight? I don't know. I don't know what I am." And I think it's really fascinating that kind of drama that's in there and the 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 soundtrack is beautiful yeah because there's a lot of abba music there's a lot of great musical scenes in it there's a lot of great drag performances in it and it won an oscar for costuming as it well should have so going into the whole story of of a gay character um this past fall the TV series Chucky came out. Okay. Now, the, the the main character, the boy that the story kind of follows, whose name I can't remember at the moment, 
um, is gay. Okay. Right? Uh, very much out and very, as a teenage boy, dealing with that and everything that goes with that. But there's a really neat little moment. I don't want to call it heartwarming because it does involve Chucky. Right. But there's a part where, you know, the, the boy's talking to Chucky and he tells Chucky that he's gay and Chucky's like, okay, and he's like, you don't have a problem with that? And he's like, my, my kid's uh, my kid's trans. And he's like, the boy says, you don't have a problem with that? But the boy says, you don't have a problem with that. And Chucky goes, not a monster. Yeah. and <laughs> But that's interesting because the in the movie Seed of Chucky, he did have a problem with it. He did, but, you know, things change, right? Yeah. Although, you know, Glenn, Glinda, whatever, didn't pop up in the show, which was a little bit disappointing, but I'm hoping for season two that they will. But still, but still. Um, but, you know, but isn't that interesting? Because I rewatched Seed of Chucky not that long ago, and I thought it was really interesting how they actually bounced off of Glenn or Glenda from Ed Wood, you know, because yep. Ed Wood liked to dress in female clothes. Yeah. Um, which made him lit- legitimately a transvestite. Yes. But he was perfectly straight and everything else. But I thought it was kind of fun that they took that particular B-movie and formulated the character of Glenn slash Glenda yep. in Seed of Chucky. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, that's what... I'm not going to sit here and say that they're one of the most positive um, <laughs> yeah, portrayals of a trans character in a movie, but I do like that character. No, and that's the thing. It's like uh, when you think about certain benchmarks in queer cinema, shall we say, Rocky Horror Picture Show comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. And they did a, a remake of it for television for Halloween, I, I, gosh, a, long t- a while ago now. I think it was 2017. Yeah, it was a while ago now. And Laverne Cox, who is a trans woman, yep. played Dr. Frankenfurter. And that's a great that's a great casting choice as well. Um, like, there's the thing. Rocky Horror... The problem... There is, there, there is an ongoing problem with trans characters in Hollywood. And it's something that I am hoping ends soon. And that's that trans characters are are normally portrayed as villainous. Yeah, the way they've been portrayed before, um, there are either trans, particularly the, the trans actors slash actresses, they were, their options were uh, dead hooker or uh, basically dead trans hooker. Yeah. And they were getting, or they were um, somehow deceiving a person and they're, they were thought of as a comedic joke or to be vile yeah, in the uh, fact yeah. that, like, if you look at um, uh, the, the um, pet detective, Jim Carrey, yeah, that yeah. scene there, which was, which was kind of funny at the time for us, but when you think back on it. Yeah, but I, I think that kind of, okay, so Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, I love that movie, it's absolutely hilarious. I used to laugh at that at that point when he realizes that Einhorn is Finkel. Yeah, used to think it was hilarious, but a couple years I was uh, a couple years ago I was watching. I'm like, this isn't funny anymore. I don't think this no. was ever actually funny. No, but it's important not to censor these things or to get rid of these things I agree because with that. It, what it does is it shows us where we were, where we are now, how far we've come, and helps to dictate where do we need to go from here. I agree with that. And one of the uh, cases of that, we just saw this on Joe Bob Briggs' last drive-in show, uh, the movie that he he played the first movie there, um, 
Uh, that was uh, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. Yeah, yes. Not a fantastic movie. No. Kind of campily acted, in a way, uh, by the actors playing Aunt Cheryl. But the character by Bo Svensson. Bo Svensson, yeah. Who was um, a cop investigating all of these... Uh, murders, yeah. M- murders and, and incidents and everything. Is that it showed the homophobia of the 80s. Yeah. And it, um, but the thing of it is, it was really ahead of its time in a way, because if somebody were to watch it, they would say, oh, this is so homophobic, it should be erased, it should never be seen. No, no. It was actually a very educational movie to watch because it showed the one character of the coach who was outed. Yes. You know, he was shown to be gay and how Bo Svensson's character just hated him and he was going to nail these guys to the wall in terms of they were the ones that did it they're perverts they're everything else because they were gay and he was accusing jimmy mcnichols character of being gay even though he wasn't and all of this sort of subplot if you will to the point that when he uh when he gets his cremuppance, shall we say, yeah. and Joe Bob, do you remember what Joe Bob said? He said, I don't understand why he, he, he got his cremuppance other than the fact that he was an a-hole. Yeah. And you and I had that discussion where it's like, well, no, it's deeper than that. It's because he was homophobic. He was more than just being an a-hole. This guy was had a dominant alpha male personality that maybe he was afraid of his own homosexual yeah, tendencies. Like the, the... The movie was very much ahead of its time in certain aspects because I think this is one of the first movies that really hits the 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 nail on the head about toxic masculinity. Yeah. I mean, the way this guy talks, the guy throws out the F slur so so often that if you made a drinking game about it, you'd get alcohol poisoning. In like two seconds. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I w- honestly, I was kind of aghast at it, but then I'm like... Yeah, thinking, initially like, okay. we were, because yeah. we were texting back and forth watching Joe Bob. Initially we were aghast at it, but then once we understood the underlying theme of it, yeah, it made more sense. And again, like that was a, uh, I can tell you from being a teenager in the 80s, that was such a legitimate slur to be used, uh, both, you know, straight and gay. Yeah. And so many gay people were hidden and afraid and... You know, they, they were labeled as perverts. They were labeled as, as being less than because of their sexuality. Yeah. And so it, it does become a very important film, even though I don't recommend watching it because it's not great. <laughs> but in terms of the topic that we're talking about, being gay pride and everything, it, it does become very relevant. I mean, you saw all of the different... Um, I pointed it out to you. There was, like, whips on the... Yeah. The, his office wall and these different sort of BDSM um, imagery throughout the whole thing where he is trying to be this alpha male, this alpha wolf. And that these guys like they're, they're perverts, they're degenerates. They, and because of that, they're the ones that have, have done all these murders. Yeah. And really it's crazy aunt Cheryl. And you know, if, if there is a reason to watch this movie, it is the performance by Susan Terrell. Cause it is, Utterly insane, and I love it. It is a bonkers movie. It, oh. it doesn't. It doesn't follow any particularly good path. I mean, it's directed by William Asher. The name William Asher. I thought I know that name. Well, yeah, because like he was behind some of the great TV sitcoms like Bewitched and 
uh, I Love Lucy and all this yeah. kind of stuff. So this movie is not great because this movie feels like it is shot for television. And the, the, the way, even the way the title, we'll get off this movie in a second, but even the way the title card comes up felt like a TV movie. Yeah. But yeah, either way, it's a very poignant movie for the time. Yeah, and it's really, ahead of really, its time. Yeah, really, really ties into what we're talking about. And here. I think, you know, this is what I say about remakes. I don't think a good movie should be remade. I think you need to take a semi-good movie or a bad movie or a movie that had potential, like Butcher, Baker, Nightmare Maker, and retool it for this uh, generation, right, where we are now, and remake it and make it into something good. So I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Think they should do that with Morbius? No. <laughs> no, Mo- no, that should never be a remake. That needs to be... here. Okay, Sony, you're not listening to us, but hopefully somebody can pass it along like six degrees of separation. Give the rights to Marvel. Give Please. the rights to Disney. Just get out of the Marvel game altogether. All right, I'm going to take a quick sidebar to discuss this because I think it needs to be discussed. So... Since we discussed Morbius on the last podcast, there has been a, oh, I don't even know what to, how to describe it without swearing. But anyway, there has been a kerfuffle. Let's just say there's been a kerfuffle with, with, with Morbius. Morbius started trending on Twitter very heavily, and there was a lot of memes and everything. And it was all very ironic, and it was all making fun of it. Some class one moron at Sony... Just went, oh man, it's trending. We should release it in theater. And it bombed. Twice. Tw- yeah, it's bombed twice. It bombed when it first released. It, bo- it, it made something like 250 grand across a thousand theaters on its re-release, yes. which is pathetic. It was trending because people were making fun of it. And that's the thing. is like There, there used to be the old adage of good, uh, bad press is still good press. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore because people... People are more vicious now, and people have more access to be vicious about stuff. Right. The internet is not your friend in a situation like this, and you these people who are making these movies need to be internet literate so that they understand when something like this happens is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it just gets back to what we're talking about, where Hollywood is pretty much dominated by old, straight, white guys who are out of touch. And, you know, no one in that movie was whiter than Morbius, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> speaking of something that isn't out of touch, though, and talking about representation, first of all, before we go on with that topic, because um, we sidebarred with Morbius, Yeah. Um, and we will never talk about Morbius again. Um, I'm not promising that. You know, we, 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 something relevant extraordinarily relevant would have to happen. Yes, I really, that I agree with. I, agree I really with that. doubt that. Um, just a quick question to wrap up this segment. Favorite gay characters, sitcom, movie, anything? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Um, Tara and Willow. For me, Tara and Willow was the first gay couple I had seen. One, it seemed like a natural thing to happen. And right. two... It was the first one that wasn't pl- I'd seen that wasn't completely played up for laughs or wasn't done as a gimmick or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, for me, I am going to go back to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert with the trio. Right. I'm actually just going to say all three of them. But some of the lines in that are, I can't say the line. It's so rich where Bernice rescues 
Guy Pierce's character from the the roughnecks that are gonna do him some real harm, and the guys saying, "Come here, Bernice. Yeah, come here. You know, I guess the the best way I can say it is, have sex with me, Bernice. Yeah, you know. And then Bernice comes along and kind of cozies up, and then just knees him in the jumblies to the point that you feel it, you see it, and he just says, there, now you're... So yeah, now we've talked about gay representation, we've talked about queer representation and trans representation and all the different things. I mean, we can't go into deep dives with this all the time um, because we just don't have that kind of time. Um, speaking of representation, I, I watched Ms. Marvel. So did I. Now, you will note that a few... Um, podcast back I said you know I don't think I can relate to this because it was a teenage girl and let me let me explain why I feel it's hard for me to relate it's because of my age and how different teenagers are now yeah okay it has nothing to do with anything other than that I don't understand what teenagers are going through nowadays because I didn't have to go through that. There was no internet. There was no cyberbullying. There was no um, education that they received. There was no, nothing like that, yeah. right? There certainly weren't the horrific school shootings or anything like that. Yeah. It's it's sad. So I can't really relate to them. Yeah. As where I have a teenager, I can at least yeah. understand it. You can, well, you're living it. Yeah. You're living it. So what I want to say, the reason I, I, I put that as a disclaimer ahead of time is because I watched it and I have to say I really enjoyed it. I did too. I really, really liked it. I feel like, yes, it was a little bit glitzy and a little bit sanitized and there was a way that they do movies that it had kind of a similar feel or tone to the Spider-Man Home series. I felt that as well and I think that worked for it. I well, I, I, I felt... Like it didn't work for it. The reason, and I say that very kind of, eh, because yeah, it does work, but it felt to me like they were kind of trying too hard to make it that, and it felt just a little bit over the top to me. Whereas in the 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 home series, it felt natural. Okay, and I can it, buy that. and that that's just the way I think that they shot it. Yeah. But what is great about this is my mom asked me because she's trying to figure things out. You know, right. 83 years old. Not, none of this, all of this, you think it's foreign to me. Oh my gosh. None of this makes any sense to her at all. Yeah. So she asked me, and this is what I loved about my mom, is that she asked me, is this okay? <laughs> and I don't think she meant it in any sort of way, but other than I don't understand what's happening here. And I said to her, yeah, this is really good, mom. This is really a good thing that they're doing because it is the first time that we have seen an actual comic book character mm -hmm. who is uh, Muslim I believe yes and they took that culture that is portrayed in the comics they didn't reinvent a superhero this is the actual superhero let's lift her from the comics let's give her this show where we can show this culture where we can understand this culture where these girls, particularly girls at this particular point, can see themselves yeah. and see that representation and see stories like this. And that is just going to open up so much for them 
in the way of like things like going to a Comic Con and cosplaying, you know, yeah. because you now have these uh, Muslim girls who can sit there and go, we like this stuff too, you know, and and now here's this great character that looks like me, that feels like me. I understand the the lingo that they're using. I understand the jargon. I understand everything this girl's going through, and I can dress like her. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I I think there's so much just plain earnest earnestness in I'm Vlani's performance and she's just so believable obviously she's believable because they've cast a, a, a Muslim teenage girl to play and the Muslim Canadian. teenage girl and she's Canadian yeah that's right um but she I think she's she's got a bright future ahead of her and you know what what what's really great about it too is just this idea of multiculturalism we are no longer in a particular um the world now is no longer just one thing. It's no longer segmented. Yeah. It's now we're in this together. Yeah. And I think I like shows like this. Shows like this that show hope. Like even going back to Star Trek. That has always been the draw for me for Star Trek is because it's not about a bunch of white guys going in space. Yeah, you have white guys, but you've also got the the black the, the black woman. You've also got uh you've also got the blind engineer. You've got the, the alien dude who's from the, the, the enemy planet. Like, these people are brought together and they work together. That has always been a big thing for me, yeah. especially in storytelling. That's why I love stuff well, like that. Well, yeah, and, you know, going back to the start of the podcast where I said, like, these are important because it allows me to go in in a very uh, non-threatening way and understand. Yeah. And to learn and to educate and where I feel like I can ask questions where if I were to meet somebody of whatever persuasion we want to talk about, whether they're gay, whether they're of color, whether they're trans, whether they're whatever, I can sit there comfortably and say, hey, could you enlighten me a little bit more? Yeah. Well, and that's why representation is important, not just for the people being represented so that other people who are not represented can learn and understand. Yeah. That's why I love stuff like that. Yeah, because fat old white guys like us have been represented forever. Yeah, and now we get to cosplay as fat whore. I've lost weight, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, noticeably you have. Now, all of that we, we know is positive. We think that's positive. Now we're going to get to something. We're going to get to our main topic. Mm. Nick, I, you know what? I'm going to let you go on this i'm just gonna you know throw my hands up and just kind of come back here because this is a property that you love aliens you can't see me i'm just i'm patting his head gently because nick has a headache now you have um, no we, idea we saw uh jurassic world dominion last night now the positive thing is we went to the drive-in the drive-in yeah we had they, fun there used to be three drive-ins in our area there's now just the one it's almost the it is the last drive-in in our area um if you have a chance to go to a drive-in and experience it once um do it yeah absolutely it, it it's kind of a lot of fun to sit in your car and watch a movie it is if the movie's good if the movie's good take it away nick <sighs> okay so before I get into Jurassic World Dominion, I'm going to talk a little bit about the original Jurassic Park and some tidbits about the overall series. The original Jurassic Park stands as one of my favorite movies of all time. It, it is in my top five. It is amazing. It's a masterpiece. You can watch it 
over and over again. Absolutely. And I have. I, there have been times where I've literally watched it several times in one week because I just felt like watching it. I love the movie. I really enjoy the book. The effects from the original movie, for the most part, still stand up today. And there was a huge influence in pop culture. We see it parodied all the time. Well, it's not even... The, the influence isn't just on pop culture. But it's actually shaped how we see some dinosaurs. Like, you take the Dilophosaurus from the first movie as an example. Dilophosaurus was always seen as, has always been seen as kind of a scavenger because of a fragile jaw. But in Jurassic Park, they tell us that they have a frill and can spit acid to paralyze their prey. Well, that was a fabrication of, of the movie. Of, well, actually, of the book. That was a fabrication of uh, Michael Crichton's novel. They don't, they've never had any evidence that they it could ever do that. But when you look at um, third, like Dilophosaurus, like stories that included Dilophosaurus from a third party, toys, anything like that, it includes the frill because as far as everyone's concerned, because of Jurassic Park, they think Dilophosauruses have a frill. They think that Velociraptors are six feet tall. Velociraptors were the size of a, of a turkey, realistically. And in, in real life, they were tiny things. But that's how they've been portrayed, and that's and the, the movies have definitely affected how we see them. Now, neat thing with the Velociraptors, the reason why that happened is actually from the book. Michael Crichton wanted to use a dinosaur called Deinonychus, which is essentially what you see in the movies. But Deinonychus doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, so he called them Velociraptors instead, which, you know, artistic license really worked out. It created some of the most memorable movie monsters of all time. Like, there has never been a Jurassic Park movie where the Velociraptors are not a main part of the movie. Okay, so something we forgot in our enthusiasm to basically trash this movie. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So, Jurassic World Dominion. Well, let's let's start off with Jurassic World. I like the first Jurassic World movie, but now I realize I like the first Jurassic World movie because it was a retread of the original Jurassic Park, beat for yeah, beat. Yeah. Fine, whatever. They did it with uh, with uh, Force Awakens. They did it with um, Jurassic World. It's fine. It's okay. It and brings you back into the story. And they're good reintroductions into exactly. the, into the world. Fallen Kingdom was stupid. Fallen Kingdom made a lot of really dumb choices that I didn't agree with, and it was not a great movie. Jurassic World Dominion was stupid, and then it committed the cardinal sin, John. It bored us. It was so boring. The pacing in the first hour? Yeah. Was awful. Yeah. I I was so bored. I was so bored by this, and I just, I couldn't get over it. I was sitting there thinking to myself, how dare they? You even said that out loud. Yeah. I was so disappointed in this film. I was actually a little angry over the film. Like, we're not getting into the meat and potatoes of it yet, but I want to bring up this point. This is how bad the movie is. Like, when you go to a drive-in, yeah, there's families there with, you know, little kids and stuff. So, a car or two might leave early because the kids fell asleep or whatever. Six. Six? Cars, we counted when I started noticing six cars left, and I know it was out of sheer, I hate this movie, this movie is terrible. 
Yeah, and it was terrible. It was awful. Because I've never, ever in my life seen that many cars... Neither have I. ...leave a drive-in. Neither have I. And honestly... If, in the we, first movie. Yeah, that's the thing. This was the first movie. The second movie was Firestarter, so, you know, there's that. Yeah. But anyway... Um, yeah, if we, we if we'd been in the in the cinema, I don't know if we would have seen the same thing or not. But yeah, I was I oh, was no, shocked. I think people would have left. Yeah, I think people would have gotten up and left. I, I, uh, the thing is, this is how bad. This is how much we started to not care about the movie. A thunderstorm rolled through, and it was raining, and it made it harder to see the screen, and we didn't care. Now, to be fair, the people left before the thunderstorm came in. Just to be yeah. clear on that. Yeah, we want to be clear on that. They did so, not stick around. No, they didn't. So, the movie takes off, and right, right off the bat, it is just a series of boring events. Here's the problem. Too much plot point going on, because they reintroduce us to our three protagonists from yeah. the original Jurassic Park. Who were who were good. Yeah, I of enjoyed course them. they were good. Um, and then we have our protagonists from Jurassic World. Who were not particularly interesting. I, I hate that. Is, the thing is, if you had taken that story with Laura Dern and Sam Neill... And Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. If you had taken those three characters with the story in this movie that they were pursuing, their plot point, it would have been far more interesting and compelling. And for context, and this, this is the thing, this is the intrigue here, these giant locusts have been attacking the Midwest and just devouring crops... And it turns out that they have been genetically manipulated with uh, with with prehistoric DNA. Yeah, and I felt like you didn't need Bryce Dallas Howard or Chris Pratt or or even the the girl that no, is the clone. No, I I didn't care about any of that at all. The store, the real story here was this these um these locusts created by Biosign, which was uh the 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 rival company of InGen. And that was that was the story. That's where the story needed to be. And this is where I have a headache. Because they just kind of threw in there because, oh, well, Blue's popular. We, we have to have Blue again. Blue had a baby. The baby gets taken by Biosyn. And Chris Pratt promises Blue, like, she can understand what he's saying because I, of course they speak human i like how malcolm riffs on that though that made me laugh yeah but i mean they sit there and he says i i'm gonna get her back this was such a minor point that was so unnecessary in this movie okay so here's the thing and the only reason they did it i swear to god the only reason they did it is so that you could see the three of them alan grant and chris pratt and the girl holding out their hands and how many times did they do a beat like that? Um, I counted at least four. Yeah, at least four. But it, it wasn't. Was but it wasn't cheesy. just. It wasn't just that moment. It was other moments I know, too that they I know. just oversold that beat and beat and. No, beat. that's what I mean. At least four different scenes in the movie included that beat. Yeah, but it, uh, but it's not just that beat. Oh yeah, it's yeah. like a bunch of other beats that they did over um, and over the and over. Referencing again. Malcolm's shirt being open, yeah, and stuff like it was so stupid. It was uh, so stupid. Really, this was not the. This really was not the Alan Grant that we had seen in other movies. And that that I understand to an extent. That's fine. Whatever I. I find it ridiculous that after we're going to say probably tw 20 years now, maybe 15 years, yeah. he's still pining after uh, Ellie Sattler. I come on. 
come on. Well, I, okay, I can see that, but it but, just, just seems like a, a very odd plot point to to make. It it was an odd. It was a okay. Realistically, it could be a fair plot point, but they played him up like some nerdy teenager trying to get the cheerleaders attention or something like that and it just it was it was stupid and and campy it also suffered from too many characters yeah because like usually we discussed this in previous podcasts the reason that characters separate and go off is so that you can have cutscenes. they're over here doing this they're over here doing that yeah and it makes sense this one didn't make sense because you had this cutscene and that cutscene and cutscene over here and cutscene over there and cutscene here and cutscene here and cutscene here until we eventually bring them all together, which means that the runtime of this thing being two hours and twenty seven minutes, you could have cut two hours out of it easily. It was disappointing. It was bad. And there wasn't enough Dino Chaos for me. Yeah, but I will point out this though. That when they did the action scenes, they were actually pretty good. They were. The action scenes were fun. The action yeah. scenes were really good. But, like, they, they introduced the Giganotosaurus in this. The largest carnivore to stalk the Earth. And it had one highlight scene, and that was it. It, went out, it otherwise went out like a punk. Well, I will tell you what I think was really lacking in this that was not lacking in the first Jurassic Park movie is because we we see on the internet, we see in the horror groups that people will try to consider Jurassic Park a horror movie because it does have those elements. It does have that suspense, the scare, the whole bit. That just did not seem to be here. No. But I did love that one scene where the guy in the scooter gets chapped. <laughs> Oh. This guy, he's just he went out he he like went out for a gelato or whatever and then turns around and was like what is that a dinosaur? And then the other dinosaur um and it's like, Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Gets taken out by an Allosaurus. Yeah, oh, well. And and the big like I also get tired of the whole thing where it's like, I don't know, it just seems like there's an eight year old who is running on the plot of these movies and it's like, Yeah, we need a Freddy Krueger dinosaur to come and fight this other dinosaur and well, they're fighting the Tyrannosaurus Rex because the Tyrannosaurus Rex is the superhero of all these Jurassic movies, and we gotta have the Tyrannosaurus Rex come in and be like Superman. And so, I don't disagree with you. I mean, it was cool seeing the Tyrannosaur, but it was a little too convenient for it to be a Tyrannosaur because Tyrannosaurs have these long knife-like uh, claws, and the T Rex pushes the Giganotosaurus onto the Tyrannosaur. Giganotis goes out. Oh, God, it was but, dumb. But you actually liked it, though. You, you kind of liked I, it. I thought it was cool at the time, but after the end, it, it just seems way too convenient. Well, but, again, it was all this sort of thing where somebody sat there and went, we have to have this, we have to have this, we have to have this, we have to cram this all in here while we come up with a story. Yeah, and I, felt, I really felt like that's what they were doing. Like they had, all, they had all the action pieces first and then built the story around it. Yeah. These characters come together somehow... Somehow. Yeah. I hate that. Now, I will say, you have the actress's name. DeWanda Weiss, yeah. She was a revelation. She was fantastic in this. She delivered, she, one, she had the best lines, mm-hmm. uh, which is fantastic for them to do. But I, I I saw a comment, we saw this comment, where she should have maybe been the, the, main, character, the main character. Yeah, She was just great. I I would I would watch that actress as that character in another movie, not not even another Jurassic movie, 
but just in another movie. I want to see more of her. Yeah, so do I. I hope that this movie, because it made money, so I mean, it's it's been seen, whatever. I hope it catapults her into some superstardom and other roles, kind of the way that Nipita Luongo has been. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think that she she's so charismatic, and she she looks like a star. She, she is a star. Yeah, she is. She has that very star appeal about her, and yeah. she's gorgeous. Like yeah, just and it, it the felt, full threat. It felt very organic too, because it's so rare that you can have uh, an actress who is beautiful to look at. Who can go in there and play this rough kind of around the edges, this badass kind of character, and yet still keep all that femininity where you just go, that is a stunning woman where she is going to be comfortable in an evening gown and these like coveralls. And she was the only actor, the only character that was given any type of emotional arc. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Surrounding her plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, she starts off as a cynical uh, pilot, and she real she gets thrust into this I, into the action. Yeah, and... I just want Hollywood to make note of her and use her more. I'm now a huge fan. Yeah, the Wanda Weiss. She is going to be huge. She has to be huge. Like, it, it, it's a crime if she's not. I agree. So really, it's like she's. Listen, it's hard to describe. It's easier for us to describe how good something is. It's really hard for us to describe how boring and bad something is. Now, I'm sure there are people that are going to go out there and say that this is the best Jurassic movie ever made. That should have been me. I know. I should have been able to watch, even if it was slightly bad, I should have been able to watch that and go, it was great. It's just a reminder not to come for us. This is our opinion, our experience. If you love it, we're not taking that away from you. Because, yes, there are things to love. The action sequences were good. I can't say they weren't. It's just the story, the plot, the pacing was not. So, to sum up Jurassic World Dominion, I am going to rate it, and I'm going to rate it a negative 18 gold blooms out of a possible 5 gold blooms. <laughs> Aren't you being just a little harsh on yeah, I'm it? being a little harsh. But I was that, that's how disappointed I was. Like L- I really wanted to love this movie, L- but listen, it listen, sucked. I speak fluent sarcasm. <laughs> You know that. We were sitting there watching the movie, and this is how bored I became with it. Because in the the second one, the, not the, the main uh, drive-in, but the secondary screen, <laughs> Maverick was playing, Top Gun Maverick. And I was looking over there, watching this flight sequence going on, and I just said, you know, sort of, I knew Nick would be able to hear me, but I was like, I think we chose the wrong theater to go to. <laughs> Like then, there's the thing. Like I was, I was watching him look at Maverick. I'm, I was thinking to myself, maybe I should change the radio station over to the other station. I don't know, but yeah, it wasn't. It was not fantastic, honestly. I, I don't suggest going paying your money to see it. Yeah, I don't. If, yeah, if you want to see it, most people have big screen TVs at home. Just wait till it streams or something. If yeah. you really, really want to see it. But then again, I don't know. Maybe they want the experience of the the big screen. So I mean, in summary. It was a fun night for us, but by the time the movie actually started, that fun night stopped being fun because... And that's the thing is, like, it was so boring, we couldn't even make fun of it. Yeah, it was hard. Well, no, because there was that point where they were chasing... The, the, was it the Velociraptor? Yeah, Trosaraptor. Okay, chasing... Uh, chasing uh, 
Dallas, Bryce Dallas Howard across the rooftop. Yeah. And I turned to Nick and said, that is some impressive Jurassic parkour. Oh, I groaned. You and did then I not. Clapped. You I clapped. clapped. You I clapped. clapped. You... Because it was. It was impressive. That, yeah. It was a pr- impressive Jurassic parkour. Yeah, old BDH has a, has a really good stunt woman. I'll forgive her that. Um, oh, yeah. I, you know, and that's, but that, that, that's, that's kind of the, the problem, is that I like all of these actors. Every single one of them. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that makes it even more disappointing. Yeah, because they deserved better. Yeah. Particularly the original legacy characters. They deserved better. And, you know, one of the things about the original um, legacy characters that we touched on with the story is that they didn't shoehorn them in. They felt like an yes. they made a story for them. Yeah, and it wasn't kind of like the way that they had done it in the Star Wars saga where they were just like, oh, yeah, we have to have the legacy characters. Here they are. No, they were... Part and parcel, they were like starring right up there with the yeah. rest of them, you know, and and I liked that. Um, but I, I still feel, and I, I said it earlier, I'm saying it again, if you had Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's characters and that plot not there, you might have had a better movie. I agree with that. I agree with that completely. And, and that's a terrible thing to have to say. Yeah. And, and, and that's nothing against the actors. And the one last thing I'll say about it, Taking it off the island, taking the movies off the islands, not the best idea. Not the best idea. Yeah, um, you know, and I, 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 I don't even know, you know, if if it's if I'm able to suspend disbelief for these movies because I feel like, let's face it, it's an American movie, so I'm not I'm not coming down on America. I have American friends. I'm related to Americans. I love them. It's it's not that. But I going from the last movie, Fallen Kingdom, I don't see that America would not just wipe these things out. Well, that was my problem with Fallen Kingdom. You had Blue running around uh, what looked like Arizona. You had um, the T-Rex running into a zoo in California. How long would it be before a bunch of weekend warriors went out and started blasting holes in these things? Well, even the government... You know, I mean, they would clearly see it as a threat. Absolutely. Like, I know that the the, the undercurrent of all of these movies is corporate greed run amok. Versus nature finding a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, the the abuse of science over the... And the denying of science and all this kind of stuff. And I just want to make that point about science, too. Like, people do not deny science because here's the thing with science science makes a determination on the best information that they have available at that time so when a new finding comes out and it seems like science has changed it hasn't they have discovered new information science is about constant learning and you know this movie is a big part of that because if you look at some of the new dinosaurs they're covered in feathers. And what we've learned since the original Jurassic Park movie, and even touched on it a little bit in the re- original Jurassic Park movie, that dinosaurs are more related to present-day birds than they are reptiles or lizards, you have dinosaurs with feathers on them in this. And I love seeing it, but that is because we now know that dinosaurs had feathers. Yeah. Aliens, that's all the time that we have for this episode of Area 51 and a half. Nick Please remind them how they can get a hold of us. They can get a hold of us on Twitter at the area 51H. 
And they can find us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a half. Also, make sure to rate us, follow us, like us, all that lovely stuff on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all that stuff. Yeah. And we just want to reiterate once again, Area 51 and a half is a safe landing place for all of you who are out there. We don't care if you're gay, trans, uh, I don't care if you're a purple human being. Just come and be with us because we have no judgment here. We want to wish all of our listeners who happen to be Galians a happy pride. Please learn the history of, of, please learn gay history. It's very important because there are people out there that have had to hide themselves, who have fought for the rights that you have right now. Those rights can be taken away by governments that are not necessarily as forward thinking as they should be. Yeah, Russia. And I want to say to the people that don't that, that that don't understand it, if you don't agree with gay marriage, then don't have a gay marriage. It's just that simple. Love is love. That is how we perceive it here at Area 51 and a half, that you are valued. And if your family does not support you, well, guess what? We do. We're, we're your family now. We love you the way you are. All right. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Area 51 and a half, and we'll see you again. God, Jurassic World Dominion sucks. I know, right? Man, I, I, I wanted to like it so much because I, I enjoyed it. Still need to see the